Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Fires inside of our hearts to align us, to give us clarity, to give us wisdom, to hear from God, and to walk with Him all the days of our life. So left to ourselves, though, we straight away move to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get God to where we can use Him, or at least know where He is when things get a little hectic. And I know where to call. I know where to go. As long as we have that, We'll reduce God into manageable terms so that we can live life as we see fit. But I would say one of the deepest obligations we have as his church is to cleanse and to elevate our concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. And you and I do the greatest service to the next generation by passing on to them an undimmed and undiminished view of God that is revealed in his word. So today, we're going to look at three amazing facets or characteristics of God, uh, and it brings, so that my hope is that it brings healing to our souls, to remind us of just how great God is. And so may God take us, all of us here this morning, to the mountaintop of his presence, and may he transfigure before us more of his true nature. Let's pray. Father, we came here to encounter you, to be with you, to hear more about you. God, to hear your word and for that word to create life inside of us. Father, I pray that your word would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent this morning. And that God, your word would wake us up, would change us in a way that only you can change us, not by our hard effort but by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, be with us this morning. Expand our view of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the God you came here this morning to connect with is beyond my ability to describe. I'll just humbly say that as a little first off, okay? Um, But we'll start off with characteristic number one that we're going to kind of zone in on. God is the only being... Who is all-sufficient? God is the only being who is all-sufficient. God is the one who contains all, who gives all that is given. Every living being is incomplete in itself. It requires something from the outside in order to exist. All breathing needs air. Every organism needs food and water. Take air and water from the earth, and all life would perish instantly. But God needs nothing. Since he is supreme being over all, it flows that God cannot be elevated. If God changed through time, it means that before he was less than, and that maybe through time he got better. Well, that would mean that he started off as less than God. God is completely self-sufficient. Nothing is above him. Nothing is beyond him. It is he who holds all things together. And we looked at that verse from Paul 
in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. If every human being were to suddenly become blind, now check this analogy out. If every human being on planet Earth was to suddenly become blind, the sun would still shine and the stars would still glow at night. In the same way, if every human being was to become an atheist, it would have zero bearing on the God who made everything, on the God who holds all things together. To believe in him adds nothing to who he is. To doubt him takes nothing away from him. The almighty God, for the mere fact that he is almighty, needs zero support. Zero. But adopted within our low view of God is a picture of a nervous, groveling God fawning over people to win their favor and approval. That's sometimes, that, that's the low view of this God seeking out human approval in a sense of insecurity of like, I need to be worshipped by you. No, that's not the God who made you. <laughs> He's far beyond and greater than that human emotion. Our lofty, so lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we can find it quite easily to believe that we are necessary to God. God's greatness did not get greater because he made you or me or because we worship him or not. Our natural egotism has a hard time entertaining this thought, the fact that God does not need you or I. The church has commonly represented him as a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father hurrying about seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. But to be right, we must think worthily, more worthily of God. It is morally imperative that we purge from our minds all shabby, dishonorable concepts of Almighty God and let him be the God in our minds that he is in reality. The great news is that the God who is self-sufficient, the God who made everything, who holds all things together, the God who needs no one, has in his sovereign will set himself to work by and in and through his obedient children. God chose. He's all-sufficient, but yet in his loving kindness, he chose to work through in other people. So God is all-sufficient. He needs nothing. He needs you nor I to worship him to be, still be, almighty God. He's all-sufficient. What's another aspect of who he is? God is everlasting and infinite. Everlasting and infinite. Again, these, these kind of big concepts, it's very hard for our little 12-pound brain to kind of like comprehend all at once. But he is everlasting and infinite. Moses wrote a psalm that we find in Psalm 90, 
Psalm 90 is a psalm that Moses wrote right before he's entering into the promised land. So right at the end of Moses' life, after having been 40 years old and God calls him in the wilderness, or being 40 years old, he flees into the wilderness. Being 80 years old, God calls him back to rescue the Israelites. He rescues the Israelites out of the hands of Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea, has led them through the desert, and they're at the, they're at the threshold of the promised land. And Moses writes this psalm of his experience with God. He writes Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Another way to say it, from vanishing point to the vanishing point, you are everlasting God. The, the mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes and then turns to look with our thought and imagination to the future of unknown mystery. God is at both points unaffected by either. That is why God can say in Isaiah 46, verse 9, he says, I am God and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning. Why? Because God is everlasting and infinite. He stands outside of space-time. He sees the end and the beginning simultaneously because he's everlasting. When Moses was a very old man, he wrote this psalm, and in it he celebrates the eternity of God. Since God is eternal, he can be and will continue to be the one forever safe home for his time-bound children, God. He writes this in Psalm 90, Lord, you have been a dwelling place in all generations, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God fills and dominates this psalm. It'd be good to maybe read it this week, Psalm 90. But he fills God's, God's eternal, infinite, everlastingness consumes this entire psalm. And then he ends with this, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom seeing the everlastingness of God and then being reminded of the finitude of our own life and say, God, teach me how to number my days that I may apply our heart to your wisdom. We who live in a neurotically busy age as we do today would be wise to meditate on our lives and the number of our days long and often before the face of God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in our hearts. He, you and I were made in his image, and there's this language that Solomon gives that he sets eternity in the hearts of men. There's a longing, there's a longing for eternity inside each person, unless it gets dumbed down or diminished by the voices and distraction of the world, God sets eternity in the hearts of men, yet we cannot even fathom the end from the beginning. Of all that can be thought or said about God, his infinitude, that he is infinite, 
is the most difficult to grasp. Infinitude means limitless, his limitlessness. And obviously, it's impossible for a limited mind to grasp the unlimited. That's why I started off to say, you came here uh, to hear of a God that it's very hard for me to describe. When we say that God is infinite, we mean that he knows no bounds. Whatever God is and all that God is, he's without limit. But check this out. God's infinitude or God's infinite nature belongs to us as his followers. Those who have given Jesus their allegiance is made known to us for our everlasting gain. His infinitude. Now, if we think about this, because God's nature is infinite, Everything that flows out of it is infinite as well. Because he is infinite, everything that flows out of him is infinite as well. We frail human creatures are constantly being frustrated by limitations imposed on us, not only by the outside world, but with inside our own human heart. And we're frustrated by those limitations. And I've heard, it, I've heard this said, life is a short Fevered rehearsal for a concert we cannot stay to give. Just when we appeared to have achieved some proficiency, we are forced to lay our instruments down. There's simply not enough time to think, to become, to perform what the constitution of our natures indicates that we are capable of. And so how completely satisfying is it to turn our limitations to a God who has none? Eternal years lie in his heart. For him, time doesn't pass. It remains. And those who are in Christ share with him all the riches of limitless time and endless years. Think about that. God never hurries. There's no deadlines against which he must work. Merely knowing this quiets our spirits and relaxes our nerves, that we can trust our limitations. We can entrust our limitations to a trustworthy, unlimited God. Amen. But there's more. God's gifts in nature have their limitations. But they are, they are finite because they've been created. But the gift of eternal Life in Christ Jesus is a limitless gift from God. In him, a person possesses God's own life. Not only is your sins forgiven, what this great grand God did, not only forgive our sins so that we can be made right, to be restored into full, whole, integrous order, but he also puts his spirit inside of his obedient children, those who've given allegiance to him. And he shares his infinitude with them. In God, there is life enough for all and time enough to enjoy it. And lastly, not only is he all-sufficient, not only is he everlasting and infinite, God is unchanging. God is unchanging. And this is an aspect of his nature that I absolutely love and appreciate. God is unchanging. That's used is God is immutable. God is immutable. He never differs from himself. 
All that God is, he has always been. Nothing that God has ever said about himself will be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and apostles have said about him will be rescinded. His unchanging nature guarantees this. Praise God. All right, Hebrews 3, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't shift. He doesn't change nature. He's, he's not passive-aggressive. He doesn't show one side of him and then reveal a completely polar opposite side of himself the next day. God cannot change, like I said, for the better. Since he is perfectly holy, he has never been less than holy than he is now and can never be holier than he is and as always has been. In God, no change is impossible, but yet in men and women, change is impossible to escape. To move across from one sort of person to another is in the essence of what repentance is. The liar becomes truthful. The honest, or the thief becomes honest. The lustful becomes pure. The proud become humble. The whole moral texture of their life is transformed. The thoughts and desires and affections are transformed and the person is no longer what he or she had been before. So radical is this change that the apostle Paul calls this man, man or woman, they used to be the old man or the old flesh. And the man that is now the new man, the now that has the spirit of God, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him who created him. Yet the, the change is maybe a little bit more deeper than any external acts can reveal, for it includes also the reception of a life from another higher quality of life. And this is where, for the follower of Jesus, when we begin following him and we sense that regeneration inside of us, that's a whole new, higher order of a being that's coming and abiding with you. And that's, very, that's a new experience. That takes a little minute to begin to relate to, to hear from, to grow with, to mature with. The old man, even at his best, possesses only the life of Adam. The new man has the life of God. And this is more than just a mere manner of speaking. It's quite literally true. When God infuses eternal life into the spirit of a man or woman, that man or woman becomes a member of a new, higher order of being. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 6, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, like I said, he, those who follow him have been made a new, higher order of being. And this is Paul trying to describe what that order of being is, that in Christ, even though you're living life here, he has seated you and your spirit with him in heavenly places. And that is where we live life out of presence with God. If I'm seated with Christ, I don't want to live life out of my perspective on this temporal plane. I want to get God's perspective. 
his elevated perspective of my life or my circumstances over our nation's circumstances, over our global circumstances, where do you get your wisdom? The throne room of God or your newsfeed? Believer, please lean into the former and wean off the latter. You will be, your mind will be more in line with full reality. Amen. All right. In the working out of his redemptive process, the unchanging God makes full use of change and through a succession of changes arrives at permanence at last. He is the author and finisher of your faith. He is unchanging. What peace it brings to our hearts to realize that our Heavenly Father never differs from himself. You don't have to wonder if, when you come to God, that he'll be in a receptive mood. I mean, could you imagine? If God shift or change, you wouldn't know if I was to come to him. Is he going to be in a receptive mood? But in the God who Jesus came to reveal to mankind, that God is always open. That door is always open. There are no office hours. He does not take vacation time and send an email to let everybody know I'll be back in the office at this date. God never changes moods or cools off in his affections or loses enthusiasm. His attitude towards sin is now the same as it was when he drove out the sinful man from garden from the garden, and his attitude towards the sinner is the same when he stretched forth his hand and cried, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God will not compromise with culture, just so you know. He will not, he does not need to be coaxed. He cannot be persuaded to alter his word, nor talked into answering selfish prayer. It is by him and for him you and I were created. We are all like a broken and cracked jar that holds nothing that it was made to hold until one comes along and heals those cracks and brings integrity back to its original design so that it can function the way it was designed to function. And you and I know if we were honest with ourselves, we are all cracked mugs, and some more cracked than others. But we all need the touch of God to bring transformation. We can't heal ourselves. Only God can come in and heal that to restore us. But it's God who is all-sufficient, who is everlasting and infinite, and who is ever un ever forever unchanging. He chose to come and to heal our wounds, to redeem and restore. And he chooses to come make our abode, his abode with us, his home with us, to be made at home with God. That's God's dream for you. And so here's this all-sufficient, everlasting, infinite, unchanging God giving an opportunity for all of mankind who all has rebelled and are running away from him to say, come, all you are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, where I'll give you rest. Because it's only in that all-sufficient, infinite, unchanging God that our heart will finally get the rest that it's been designed to get. Amen? Let's pray.
God, thank you for the greatness of who you are. God, our words fail when we describe the indescribable. But Father, I pray that you would take your word and Lord, what was laid out that's from you. God, I pray that you would God, I pray that you would just take over our imaginations. God, to see you as you more clearly as you are. As Paul says, God, that we see you as kind of through a muddy glass pane. We can see glimpses, we can see images, but until we see you face to face, God, we're on this side. And so, Lord, there's some mystery, there's some unknown. God, there's some things about you that, God, we don't know. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would take that hunger in us of the things, the aspects, and we don't know, God, that you would take us and lead our hearts to be a mature follower of you. Lord, not one that is superficial. Lord, not one that is just, uh, Lord, just attending for show or, God, just wanting some eternal uh, credit uh, in the end. God, we here come before you to say, God, we know you made us. God, we know that, Lord, you put us on earth at this time for a purpose. God, I pray that you would continue to help us walk out that purpose. God, if we don't know what that purpose is, God, I pray that you would uh, put inside of us your desire, God, for us. And uh, Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we move forward, Lord, that our eyes would be caught staring at the great I am, knowing that as we do, God, we are transformed. Lord, we are changed. So, Lord, we thank you that you are the God that you are. Lord, help us be the same to others as you reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.